Welcome to Pastor Bill's Classroom. We are in our study of the Corinthian Letters, Lesson 55, entitled, Love is the Answer, Part 8. Hello and welcome back to our study of 1 Corinthians. And we're in 1 Corinthians 13. We've been looking at the love chapter, as it is so-called. Uh, for now, I believe, eight different. This will be our eighth time together looking at love. And love is just a huge, huge subject. In fact, I would dare say there is, it's impossible to overemphasize it. Uh, to over uh, overstress uh, the the biggest statement possibly in the whole Bible is God so loved the world. Uh, really, you can hang everything on that. Why why did He write the Bible? Why communicate to us? Why give us the Ten Commandments to tell us that we were headed in the wrong direction? Why uh, obviously the whole verse is about you know God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. Why, why go to all these, this trouble? Why become a man? Why die in our place? Why uh, uh, fill us with your spirit? Why, why give us all these gifts as we're talking about here as we're in the middle of dealing with here in 1 Corinthians? Why all these things? Because of love. And God, in fact, is the summation of God, if you will, is God is love. Uh, so to know what love is, is to know who God is. And so we're going to begin here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to be reading the whole thing today, but we're going to start with verses 1 through 7 here in just a second. But before we do that, let's, let's pray together. God, we thank you for your great love for us. And it is because of your great love that we're even standing here today. That we can have this conversation about the things of God, the mind of God, uh, the Word of God. It's because you chose to love us. You chose to love us before we were ever here, before we were ever born, before the world was ever created. You chose the process that we're in, and the conclusion of that process and the end is going to be going to be a wonderful place of love. So God, I pray that, that uh, by the power of your Spirit, you would fill us with your love right now so that we can love you first and love each other uh, second. And uh, this world that we live in, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So let's take a look at the first seven verses of 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, For I speak with the tongue of men and of angels. He's gotten off a chapter about the gifts and how important the gifts are and the fact that gifts are distributed and all that. But he says, Nonetheless, there is something far more important. He's at the end, the last verse of, last part of the last verse of chapter 12, he says, But I will show you still a more excellent way. What is that? It's the way of love. He says, If I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, do not have love. I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Who wants that? What good is that? No music in that. If I had the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries, these are some massively uh, uh, over, over, overarching statements. All the gift of prophecy and all mysteries, all knowledge, if I know, have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love. Just a big fat goose egg, right? Nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and I deliver my body to be burnt, it doesn't come from love. Prophets mean nothing. Love, now here's the descriptive, not just the definition, but the description of these are, these are action verbs. Love it literally acts patiently. Love acts kindly. There we have. Is not jealous. Love does not brag is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, 
does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. And then these four summative statements here in verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And the first part of verse 8, love never fails. Again, like I said, the broadest subject in all of Scripture, impossible to overemphasize the subject of love. I mean, how will the world know, Jesus tells us, how will the world know that we belong to Him, that we're His disciples? By the love that we have, not by our doctrine, not by our churches, not by our stained glass, not by, I don't know, our preachers on the billboards and all this. How are they going to know that we belong to Jesus? By the love that we have for one another. And if we don't have that love, well, the world's not going to know who we are. How will they know? By the love. The, the law and the prophets, Jesus says, hang on love. So, so the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. These two greatest commandments, Jesus says, hang all the law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament. So the entire Old Testament hangs on love, and the New Testament hangs on the Old Testament. So the whole Bible hangs on this whole issue of love. Why did God do all this? Because He loves us. He loves us. If we could just simply grasp that. Notice the, the prayer request that Paul has for the Ephesian church above everything else. Put it on the screen for you. Ephesians 3. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then here's the conclusion really of it. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and height to know the love of Christ which, pass, which passes knowledge, that you may be able to be filled with the fullness of God. So, so not just to, to, to intellectually comprehend it, but also to experientially uh, comprehend it. He says, that's what I want for you. If we could just get that, if he could just have that for you, and I'm really giving you, I'm really asking everything for you when I ask that, he says to this church. So, so Paul concludes here in 1 Corinthians 13, he concludes this description of love with four summative statements. And Paul uses the Greek word panto, is where we translate the word all things. And we keep this word in various forms in our English language, like pantheism, right? The belief, supposedly, that all things are God, or the word pantry, the place where we keep all things, or uh, the word panacea, something that is supposed to cure all things. Well, uh, whether those all things can be applied to those or not is a matter of a different conversation. But the fact that love, that love is all-protecting, all-believing, all-hoping, all-enduring is a fact. Love never fails. The final word that we haven't dealt with is the word endures, and it's a military term. It literally refers to an army or, or a soldier that holds a very vital position they endure, they stand, they, 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 they're unmoved. That's what love is. Love holds a very vital position. It cannot be moved off of it. It cannot be changed from it. Roman soldiers were famous for holding their positions at all costs. In fact, archaeologists, you may uh, know this, uncovered, of course, Pompeii. Pompeii was, was destroyed by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius and was, was literally buried in ash very, very rapidly. And so people were... Uh, in, in, in the act of living, basically, uh, uh, were frozen in place by this tr tremendous catastrophe. One of the interesting finds they found there in Pompeii was they found a Roman soldier still on guard, 
at the gate of the city. Now that is holding your position right there. That's what love does. Love holds its position. It endures. You can scorch it, you can, you can charge it, you can bury it, you can do whatever you want to, but it endures. Therefore, love, as he says there, never fails. Everything else does. Now, say that to say this with the backdrop of the world that we live in. Love seems to fail all the time, doesn't it? I mean, what we call love, what we say is love, I love you, you love me, and often that fails, often does. So what's going on? Love seems to be enduring very little these days. I mean, if you just consider the divorce rate and child abuse just in themselves, I mean, it casts a black cloud over the whole question of what love really is. But in fact, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the Bible says that three out of four times love will fail. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, because I, I just read to you that love never fails, right? Well, God's kind of love doesn't fail, but there's three other kinds of love. You may be familiar with the fact that the Greek language, which is the New Testament, is written and has three different kinds of love. It has the, the phileo love, which is the brotherly love. That fails, unfortunately. Storge love, which is affection kind of love, like a friendship. That also fails. And then eros, which is sexual or physical love. It also fails. The Bible never says that these three kinds of love never fail. never says that. In fact, it, it says the opposite. These do fail. They do come apart. And here's the main reason. Because these three kinds of love can be produced without the uh, assistance of God, without the indwelling of the Spirit, without the control of the Spirit in our lives. These three can be produced by sinful human beings. And anything that a sinner can produce, you can be sure of this. It's going to fail. It's certain to fail. All these types of love are going to fail. Three out of the four times, if you will, in the Scriptures, love fails. But there is one kind of love that never fails, and that's the love that's the topic of 1 Corinthians 13. It's called agape love. You probably have heard that. Agape love, God's kind of love, God's love that doesn't fail. The only chance we have of having love that doesn't fail is to be under the control of God. We've been emphasizing this all the way through. As we talked about the gifts, we talked about other things. I mean, of, of what good is a gift if it's not controlled by God? Of what good is what we call love if it's not produced by God? If it comes out of sinful nature, it is going to fail. So we submit ourselves to the control of God, and the, in the control of God, He produces the characteristics of God. Number one characteristic is love. Uh, the, the whole question of why did the chicken cross the road, right, to get to the other side? Well, here's a better question. How did the dead fish get across the road? He was tied to the chicken. Hey, listen, we're the dead fish. <laughs> we don't get anywhere unless we're tied to God. We don't get anywhere. I don't have the capacity to produce these, these godly characteristics in and of myself. I can learn about them. I can want them and desire them. But, but until I'm allowed myself surrendered completely to the power of God, and allow His power to work through my life, then and only then are the things of God produced. Love is the epitome of all those things for sure. So let's not forget that Paul is speaking to a church that lacked love, but was enamored with spiritual gifts. Oh, this gift and that gift. But Paul says, listen, all these things, even with all these gifts, if, if you have all these things but don't have love, they're nothing. They're nothing. They're, they're, they're worthless. Uh, notice the comparison between the gifts here in verse 8 and the more excellent way, as Paul refers to it there at the end of chapter 12. 
more excellent way called love. So, so now he, he's talked about love, now he's taking them back to chapter 12, effectively in their minds, uh, in verse 8. Love never fails, but if there is, are gifts of prophecy, and there are, God has gifted the church that way. They will be done away with, he says. And if there are tongues, and there are, they will cease. And if there's knowledge, and there is, it will be done away with. The, the necessity of these gifts, literally, the, the Greek literally means the word cease there is to something that was wound up that unwinds. So I wind up a clock, guess what happens? It, it has... It has an endurance, and once that endurance is over, the winding stops. It unwinds itself. Likewise, God has wound up these gifts for a season within the church. And so, so the process of these gifts is working the way it's supposed to work, and part of that working is, is that they cease to exist. And it's not just referring to these three gifts. These are just three gifts that were um, highly sought after. Remember, this is a church that's looking for upfront gifts, the gifts of tongues, gift of prophecy, gift of knowledge. you got a smart person, a person that's able to speak, and a person that's able to speak in some language that he never learned. Oh, they were all enamored by that. Oh, boy, oh, boy, I want these things. And Paul says, listen, these are gifts from God. They're important gifts of God because God gave them through his Spirit to the church. Nonetheless, you need to understand, they will unwind, as will all the other gifts. There is not a gift that God, has not given, that God has given to the church that will not also unwind. Remember, it's, it's for the sake of the church while she is on earth. But when she ceases to be on earth, these gifts will have absolutely no place. They, we won't need them anymore. And that's what he's talking about here. Because from here on, he's going to be speaking out what's going to happen to us. So what's happening to us in this life is, yeah, we, we're dependent upon the gifts. God enabling his church, the members of his church, to minister to themselves, to care for themselves to be interdependent, to be surrendered collectively to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit to produce the uniqueness of the gift from, from each church member and from each situation, and these things are very important. But, but when the church ceases to be on earth, well, when you cease to be on earth, how about that? Or me, you won't need these gifts. You'll be in the presence of God. These are to take the place, if you will, of the presence of God. They're to give us a taste of the presence of God here on earth in this wicked place, full of sin. Now, they give us a taste, they give us an enabling to do what God has called us to do, but once we get to heaven, that calling's over. The service is over. We're now where God wants us to be. For we know in part, that's here. Paul, Paul remember, is writing the New Testament. And he says, even with what he's communicating to us through his writings in the New Testament, it's only part. It's only part. God's not telling you everything because we can't take it. He's given us what we can handle. He's given us what we need, but he's not telling us everything. We only know in part. And I'm telling you, if Paul says he knows in part, you don't know any more than in part. We prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial be done away. A lot of people refer to the fact that this is the creation of the Bible and all these other things. I have no idea where they get those ideas from. I can't find it here. He's not talking about any experience you can have here on earth. He's talking about the next step off of earth, into eternity, into the presence of God. So as long as we're here, it's imperfect. As long as we're here, it's partial. As long as we're here, the best we can get are these things, and they come through the giftedness of, of, of the body as God gives the gifts of the Holy Spirit to each one. 
When I was a child, here's another reference. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. But when I became a man, I did away with uh, childish things. And so he talks here. These, these, uh, remember, remember the maybe you remember the show called The Children Say the Darndest Things? I think Ark Linkletter. Remember that? Uh, and it's a funny show because kids, they do. They say the, the darndest things. I remember our daughter Hannah, our youngest, we were living in uh, Webb County. I was a pastor at a little church out in the middle of nowhere, and she was probably three years old, and Valor's playing worship music in the house. And one of the songs that came on, you may remember this song, it's called The King is Exalted. The King is Exalted, Forever Exalted. On I won't sing too much for you because I know I'm not trying to torture here. Forever Exalted on High. Well, she was going around the house singing that song, except, and she had a little bit of a speech impediment, and she was three years old. We were listening to her. And she wasn't saying exalted, she was saying exhausted. She probably heard us say it before. We're exhausted, sweetie. Mom and dad are exhausted. And so she, she thought that was the same word, and so she, instead of saying the king is exalted, she's saying the king is exhausted. The king is exhausted forever, exhausted, because kids say the darndest things. And sometimes I wonder, is that not some way correct, because God must get exhausted with us? But even still, it's not true. God doesn't get exhausted. But, but, but again, our, our experience on earth is like the talking of children. The best we can do is like child communication compared to what it's going to be when we get up there. It's going to be so different. The, the best, we're the children of God, right? But our communication is not much more, and our understanding not much more than a child. As important as the spiritual gifts are, they're really conversations of children compared to what we'll be doing when we get to heaven, living in eternity. It's so, so incredibly important that we understand that. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child. Reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. Here's the comparison between our experience and now. The best you can know, the best you can see is, is this imperfect mirror image. And he's towards talking about the typical mirrors of the day where these brass or bronze mirrors that they would shine really, really, get really, really smooth. And the best you could see was some kind of distorted image. And even today, I mean, we have some very high-quality mirrors. Even in a high-quality mirror, you still get a reverse image. Still reverse. So there's coming a day when the image will be perfect and not reversed. And that's the day when we're face-to-face with God. Then you won't need to prophesy to me. And I won't need to speak to tongues to you. And I won't need to hear knowledge from this person. I won't need the service from that person. And I won't need teaching from that person. And I won't need the gifts of the Spirit, the body of Christ, because we're going to be in the presence of Christ. It's going to be completely different. Like I said, the best we can experience here is like the conversations of children compared to what it's going to be. It's like the reflection of an image in a very imperfect mirror. But love is not the domain of children. And there's no reverse image in it. So, so even though we experience imperfection here in this world, the only perfect thing that we experience ultimately is love. And then then we experience the actual image of God. And that's the point he's making. It's the domain of the mature, the image of God himself, who is himself love. It outpositions even wonderful attributes like faith and hope. Let's keep reading there. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. If Paul knows in part. Brother, you and I can only know in part. 
But then I shall fully know fully, just as I have been fully known. Wow, what a statement. What does that really mean? I'm not totally sure. I mean, obviously God knows everything about us. That means we're going to know everything about God? Can we know everything? It's going to take, I think it's going to take eternity to know everything about God. But now abide. Here's the top three, if you will. The three main contenders. Faith. What an incredible thing faith is. So necessary here on earth. Hope. Where will we be without, without hope? And then ultimately, what, how necessary and how, how, how important is the issue of love? These three remain. They abide. But the greatest of these is love. Even faith and hope will have a curtain call. I, I would say after the fact of the the, the, the leaving of the gifts, if you will, as the church ascends, as, the, as we rise, as we go in the presence of Christ, the last things to leave is going to be faith and hope. Faith pleases God, but when we're face to face, what is going to be the need of faith? See, faith is the substance of things not seen. So when we do see, no, you just won't need faith anymore. And hope, it tells us, hope that is... Uh, uh, hope that is seen is no hope at all, tells us in Romans 8. So when we do see, we don't need hope either. So faith, even as important as that is, will fade. Hope, even as important as hope is, will be unnecessary. But the atmosphere, listen, of heaven is going to be love. We're in the presence of the one who is love, who did all these things for us out out of a heart of love for us. There's so much that's going to matter here, that matters now, I should say, that will not matter then. Love endures and never fails, therefore we must live a life of love. Because uh, that's the only thing that's going to last. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that's going to endure. Love and things done in love will be the only thing we get to take with us. Really. The only thing that crosses the line from time into eternity, ultimately. It's going to be love. All the, everything else can be left behind. just won't need it anymore. It's not that it's not important. It's not that it doesn't matter. Again, it's not that we can't have a conversation about gifts and about faith and about hope and how incredibly important as those things are. You just need to understand, your, your big money, the, the majority of it eventually needs to be completely on love. Completely. So I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we think about these things. The love of God that has drawn you into a relationship with him. He found you. You didn't find Jesus. As we say, I found Jesus. Well, no, Jesus wasn't lost. You were lost. The love of God that looked down the pipe of time out of eternity and saw the need that you and I would have to be rescued from our sins. It was love. All these other things are a means to the end of God being able to communicate his love to us. And the end is going to be all these means are going to wash away. It's going to be back to love, back to our purpose, which is to be known and loved by God and us to know and love God as well. God, I thank you for teaching us. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for clarifying things for us. Help us to live with clarity. Help us not to base our lives on things that's something less than the most important thing. 
Help us to live a life of love, first of all to you, and then to those around us. And we ask God, not for strength to do this, because there's not enough strength in the whole wide world to produce your kind of love. Instead, we ask for the weakness that will bring us to the place of surrender where you can produce your love through us. Thank you, God. We pray you continue to bless our study in 1 Corinthians as we progress on into chapters 14, 15, and 16. And may you be glorified by the results of it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.